The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, good morning. How's everybody? You doing good? Hey, if you're excited to be at church this morning, find, look somebody, look at somebody. It may be across the room. Just look at them and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Go ahead and look at them and tell them right now. I'm glad you're in church. Well, if you happen to bring a Bible with you, we're in a series in the book of Luke, and we titled this series, Basic Training. And Jesus is initiating his ministry, and he's called people to himself, and he's, he's training them in the basics of what it looks like to follow him. And so this has been a good series, and I'm excited for this morning. Have you ever been in a relationship... Let me back that up. It's 2020. It's, we're not fooling anybody. When's the last time you were in a relationship and uh, you just felt like, you know what? I, I'm the only one giving here. I'm the only one who's showing love here. Now, if you're sitting by that person, don't look at them and point at them. But all of us have been in that situation. You're thinking, I'm the only one who's giving here. Do you know there are no healthy relationships, whether it's friends, whether it's dating, whether it's your marriage relationships. When love is not reciprocated, their healthy relationships just don't exist. Oftentimes in church, we talk about, we talk about uh, God's love for us. But when we talk about a relationship with God, there's a two-way street here. It's not just God's love for us. The other side of the relationship is our love for God. This morning, I want to talk about our love for God. Have you ever met somebody and you just thought, you know what, they just, they love this. I know it's obvious. It's evident that person loves God. You ever met somebody like that? Oftentimes as a pastor, I'll meet people who come out of deep and dark situations in life. And it's obvious and evident that those people, when they come to faith in Christ, they just have this deep and evident love for God. When we open up the New Testament and we read the Bible, we see people in the New Testament like that, who come out of deep and dark situations. The Bible would describe them like this, like tax collectors and, and sinners and thieves and murderers and prostitutes. And when those people come to Jesus, it's funny when we read those passages and those stories, those people are strangely attracted to Jesus. And when they finally meet Jesus, we find out that they love him. They love him. I believe it's true and it's evident that when, when we understand the forgiveness that Jesus offers, the result is that we love Jesus. Do you know how to love God this morning? That's what I want to talk about. Do you know how to love God? Maybe you know God loves me, but I'm not sure if I love God. Well, this morning in Luke chapter 7, there are two characters in a passage that I want us to compare ourselves to. And I want you to ask yourself, am I more like one or am I more like the other this morning? Do I love like one or do I love like the other? This morning I want to preach a message from Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, titled, When Sinners Meet Jesus. When sinners meet Jesus. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. If you're new to Story City, by the way, this is how we love to preach, particularly when we're reading narrative. We love to go verse by verse. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to make our way to verse 50. Starting in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, the scripture says this When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, you need to know in the context here, dinner parties at this time in this era, people aren't sitting around the table. They're actually reclining on a, on a couch, typically with their left arm underneath the pillow, their feet behind them. And so Jesus was reclining at the table. Verse 37, a woman in that town, 
who had lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, if it seems strange that a woman of the city who had lived a sinful life is crashing a dinner party, you also need to know the context. At this time, these types of parties would have been held in a public sort of courtyard in a house. And even though you might not have been invited to the table to have dinner, people often would gather around this dinner party to hear the words that are being spoken. That's apparently what's happening with this woman. Verse 38, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, remember Jesus is reclining, his feet are behind him. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, not out loud, he said to himself, important here, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, we don't know what this woman did. A lot of commentators will speculate and they will commentate and say that this woman was very likely a prostitute and we could probably have some context clues here that would tell us that that's probably what's going on, but we can also have some clues that this may not be what's going on. We don't know what she did, but what we do know that at least one person at the party, and if one person knew it, it was likely widely known, this one person knew that she's sinful and her sin was known. And so what we see is this man, this Pharisee, his name is Simon, and he's looking down on this woman who had lived a life of sin, the Bible tells us. And you can just, you just feel what's happening here. He's looking down on this woman as if he's holy and righteous, right? He sees himself as righteous. He sees this woman as a sinner. It's hard to read the New Testament, right? It's hard to read the New Testament and see Jesus and not pay attention to the times when people just like this woman encounter Jesus and they come to Jesus and they approach Jesus. And it's hard not to read when these types of people approach Jesus, what does he do? The Bible tells us Jesus befriends these types of people. I mean, people who are just notoriously outcast people, they come to Jesus, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people with leprosy, and diseases, the people that would be outcast in society, the people who are sick and destitute. It's hard not to read the New Testament and see these types of people coming to Jesus. And Jesus encounters these people over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. And his response is always the same. Jesus is always welcoming to these types of people. In fact, the only people in the New Testament Jesus seemingly is standoffish against and is not welcoming towards is typically the religious leaders who are not welcoming to those people. When we read the New Testament, we see that Jesus is a friend of sinners. In fact, just a few verses before, last week's passage, verse 34, he's accused of being a friend of sinners. Now, can I just pause for a moment and just encourage you? I believe Christians and believers and people who go to church, we should be in the proximity of those who don't look like Jesus. I believe we should be in the proximity of those who don't look like Jesus, in the proximity of those who don't know him and look like him, but I believe it's far too easier for us to judge people than it is to love them. 
I come from the southern part of the United States. It's no secret if you've been around here for a while, and maybe if you're new here, you're like, I could tell by his accent. He's from the south. I'm from the south, and it's no secret that here in California, there's a perception of, uh, of liberal politics and liberal cultural views, and the South is the exact opposite. It's no secret to that. Oftentimes, people will tag me on Facebook on an article or a quote that something somebody says. You've probably even seen it on my Facebook page if we're friends. Oftentimes, people will quote me back in the South. This is you know, something derogatory or demeaning towards people here in California. And it's not that I, that I totally disagree with the things that are being said, but quite honestly, the, the, the thought to me is that these are people that I'm trying to love to Jesus. And the reality is it's easier to judge people when you don't have proximity to those people than it is to love them. And surely this woman knows as she walks into this dinner party, she's being judged. Don't you believe? What does it take for this woman to walk through this party? What does it take as she's walking through and, and, and she's fighting humiliation? Just imagine she's fighting the shame, all of these condescending and prideful stares at her. And she walks in this party and she's crying so loud. Listen, there's a Greek word for just crying and then there's a Greek word for sobbing and that's this word here. She's literally sobbing out loud and her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. Philip Ryken, the president of Wheaton College, says this, it's our calling as Christians to share the love of Christ with people who need his grace in the same way that Jesus came to save lost sinners and in the same way that he's touched our own lives, we're called to reach out with his love. The love of Christ is to govern our response to the girl at school who has a reputation of sleeping around, to the homeless man addicted to crack cocaine, to the openly gay couple in our apartment building, to the inmate with the violent record, to the family member who scorns the gospel, and listen to me, church, to the pastor who denies the fundamental doctrines of the faith that we like to put on blast on Facebook. The love of Christ leads us to build relationships with the obvious sinners we know. Too often, we don't have relationships with them at all, or if we do, our contempt for their sin shows through. They can tell what we really think about them, he says, and this hinders them from ever hearing the gospel we want to give to them. How much are you like Jesus in this? Some of us do this really well. Quite honestly, in a culture like Los Angeles, many of us love people really, really well. But I would ask you, have you taken it a step further? Have you taken your love for other people a step further? Some of us are good at loving people because of Jesus. I know what Jesus has done for me. I know what God has done in my life. And we're good at loving people because of Jesus. But may I ask you this morning, are you willing to love people to Jesus. Do you understand? Do you understand the difference? Some of us would just love people and be kind to people and be nice to people, but my question to you this morning, is your love intention to introduce them to Jesus? Would you take the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus, to tell them who you are, why you are, what the hope that you have is? I, honestly, as we come up on February the 16th, good morning, Gator, as we come up on February the 16th, my friend. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out like that, buddy. We really are friends. 
You're always welcome to be late, brother. February the 16th, will you take an opportunity to introduce you? Do, you? do you love? No, I love people. Yes, all of us in this room would say, I love my neighbor. I love my coworker. I love my boss. I love my family. But do you love them such that you will introduce them to Jesus, not just because of Jesus? That's what we offer our city. The love of Jesus that can forgive them of their sins. It's the foundation of the restoration of everything in their life. Do you love people not just because of Jesus, but will you love them to Jesus? I'm, that's a challenge to us this morning. I'm serious. Invite people, four on four. So the passage here shows us two different ways to approach this sinful woman. We have Jesus' way, and then we have Simon's way to approach sinful people. But listen, but listen. That's not the point of the passage. Showing us how to minister to sinful people and our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues is not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is not how to minister to people, but the point of the passage is we should see ourselves as a sinner who is loved by Jesus. Listen, that's the motivation for loving people to Jesus. Because we believe we're all on equal ground, that our greatest need is forgiveness of our sins. So I just don't love people because of Jesus. I want to love people to Jesus so they can experience the same forgiveness that I've experienced. But when we read this passage here, it's obvious. Simon thinks that he's managing his sin. I'm I'm good at managing my sin, Jesus. At the very least, Simon believes his sin is not, is not that bad at all, at least when he's in contrast to this one. My sin is not that bad in contrast to this woman who's had a sinful past and a sinful life. Have you ever played the sin comparison game? All of us have, right? It's a lot like postmodern thought. There are no rules to it. You make up your own rules and you make up your own standards, and it typically goes something like this. Well, at least I did not. Go that far. Do that thing. Cheat in that way. Lie like she did. Do you understand that comparing our sins will never lead us to love Jesus more? They'll only lead to us loving ourselves more. Comparing my sin to my neighbor, my coworker, my colleague, my family member will never lead me to love Jesus more. Remember, we're talking about how to love Jesus this morning. You just need to understand, comparing my sins to someone else only leads me to loving myself more. And Simon here in this passage, he's comparing himself to this woman, but he's not only comparing himself to this woman, he's also comparing himself to Jesus. You notice what he says here. If he were a prophet like me, he would never allow this woman to touch him like that. You understand what's happening here? Simon apparently has these acceptable limits of sin in his life. In other words, I haven't gone that far Simon didn't believe he's, he's, he's come to the point yet where he's, he's reached the threshold of his sin being life-impacting. Can I say to you this morning, church, there are no acceptable limits of sin. You say, well, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not perfect. No, no, I didn't say you were perfect. We will go to the grave carrying sin with us. And that is not the point. The point is, can you admit your sin? And if you can't admit your sin, then you will never love Jesus. It will always be a one-way relationship. Always be 
a one-way relationship. And so this story, as we read it here in Luke chapter 7, it's a good reminder that none of us are better than the woman in the story. Everybody needs forgiveness just as much as this woman. But Simon couldn't see that. Simon couldn't see that he needed forgiveness just as much as the woman. And that's the reason he didn't love Jesus like this woman did. And so Jesus wants to help Simon understand this. And so he goes on here in verse 40, and he's going to tell a story about, about being forgiven of a debt. He's trying to help Simon see something that Simon doesn't yet see. Now read with me in verse 40. <clears throat> By the way, if you're a Christian this morning and you think I'm only talking to the people in the room who are not Christians, I just want you to come back to the table for a moment because I'm talking to you too. The gospel is not just for you to be saved. It's for your everyday life. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more, Jesus says. Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven you have judged correctly, Jesus said. One of these debtors owes approximately two months' worth of wages, and then there's another debtor in this story that owes two years' worth of wages. I want you to understand something this morning. The point here in the parable that Jesus tells, it doesn't matter if you owe little, and if it doesn't matter if you owe a lot. The point is, neither one of them could pay their debts. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Do you understand in our lives it's never about the amount of debt? I'm talking about reality. It's never about the amount of debt you owe on your house, you owe on your car. It's always about your ability and capacity to pay the debt. Do I have enough income? Do I make enough money to pay this debt off? In the case of sin, it doesn't matter the debt. We have zero capacity to pay the debt of our sin. And people who understand their inability to pay back that debt of sin are typically the ones who are overwhelmed with God's gracious provision of forgiveness. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. It doesn't matter if you're a school principal. The point here is that one sin is enough that you cannot pay it back, Simon. And if you're ever going to learn how to love me, you have to understand, Simon, it's not how much sin, it's not the severity of your sin, it's whether you recognize your sin. And listen to me, church, the more you're able to comprehend the depths of your sin, the more you're able to understand what it really means to your relationship with God, the more you can love Jesus because you can see just how much you've been forgiven. Jesus canceled the debt of both people here in this passage. You can't cancel your debt, but Jesus can. You can't cancel your debt, but Jesus can. Jesus was the sinless Savior of the world. Jesus died for us, and when Jesus went to the cross, the last words he spoke were, it is finished. Do you understand the words on the cross there? They're a bookkeeping term, and they mean it's been paid. 
In fact, it means it's been paid in full. You know, occasionally in life, people sometimes come up short for the ability to pay a loan or to repay something in full. If you default on a loan, you understand this, someone still must pay. In 2008, whenever the economy crashed, I had a family member who defaulted on a loan. And, and they were in the real estate industry. And while the real estate industry was good, like it is now, everything was great. People were buying the neighborhoods to build houses. People were buying the houses that people were building. And when the economy was good, it was no problem. But when the economy crashed and you have five figures of interest every single month and nobody's buying, listen, it doesn't take long to default. And when you default, somebody must pay back the loan. Somebody has to pay the creditors back. Somebody has to go to work. If you default, someone must pay. When it comes to your sins, church, it's either you paying for your sins or Jesus paying for your sins. And the only way you can pay for your sins is with your own blood. And, and, and if you try to pay for your sins with your own blood you're going to eventually find that you've come up short. And because you couldn't pay the debt off, the Bible tells us the result is eternal separation from God. Now look, you may be separated from God today. You may not have a relationship with God today, but the reality is you still enjoy the benefits and the blessings of his common grace to all of us. But if one day you die and your sins have never been forgiven, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and pay your debt, the result, according to the Bible, is eternal separation from him. And Jesus is trying to help Simon realize the reality of his sin and how great forgiveness is for his sins. So he asked Simon, Simon, who will love more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who is forgiven more. Now, if you're a parent this morning, and you have a child who comes to you, and you ask them a question, and they say, I suppose, you understand it's not the most convincing answer, don't you? I suppose is really an answer that you give whenever you're sort of backed into a corner, right? You, you don't want to give the right answer. Well, I, I suppose, and that's Simon here. Simon knows he's one of the debtors. Simon just believes he's the little debtor. Simon just believes, I, 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 don't owe, I don't owe much, Jesus. Isn't that most of culture? That's most of culture, right? Talking about sin, listen, I, I get it. I can listen to guys teach on preaching to a postmodern. I get it. Talking about sin rarely moves the dial. Why? Because nobody believes that about themselves. We use words like, man, what a good guy. What a great family. What, what a good home. Like, we don't, just don't use words like that, and we don't typically think of ourselves like that. We don't think of ourselves in this way. But listen to me. As sinners, listen, we don't think of ourselves, or at least we don't think, you know what, I'm a big sinner, <laughs> I'm a big debtor. We, we don't think of ourselves that way. There's no such thing, church, as little debtors. There's only people who think they're little debtors. Everybody is a big debtor. Everybody is a big sinner. And people who feel like they're little debtors, listen to me, they not only struggle loving God, but they also struggle loving other people. 
And if you feel a lack of love towards other people, and especially God this morning, then can I just suppose to you that maybe it's because you've never really experienced the grace and forgiveness of God. And if you want to be a more loving person, and if you want to love God more, then you have to see your sin as Christ sees your sin. As this woman saw her sin. As Zacchaeus saw his sin. As the thief on the cross saw his sin. And ultimately, every one of them turned to Jesus for forgiveness. And when you do that, it'll make you more loving. So Jesus then turns and he speaks to the woman. But he's also addressing Simon at the same time. Verse 44, then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. One of the three customary greetings for guests in the house. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss. The second of three ordinary greetings to guests in this time. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46, you do not put oil on my head, the third of a customary greeting at this time, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Now, I want you to catch this. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This woman has an extraordinary expression of love, doesn't she? You need to understand the context of what's happening here. And when you went into a home at this time, customarily, ordinarily, a home would have provided you with a water basin, and the lowliest of jobs in that home would have been the person who would wash and clean your feet. Now, Simon doesn't do that. He doesn't ask a servant to do that. But the woman comes in, and she's weeping, and she gets down, and she cleans Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears as Jesus is reclining on the couch. It's an extraordinary expression of love. And her expression says to us, I'm at the end of myself, Jesus. I don't know what else to do. I'm helpless. I've exhausted myself. I, I don't know what else to do. And I know that only you can help me, Jesus. Can I say this to us this morning? When sinners meet Jesus, they love him. When sinners meet Jesus, they love him. Simon thought he could help himself. Simon thought he could help himself. Just think for a moment about this woman and about Simon. Which one are you most like? Which one are you most like this morning? When you're, when you're reading the Bible, it's a good exercise to, to ask yourself a question. Who am I most like in this passage? Well, in this passage, there's really only two options because you're not Jesus. You may think you are, but you're not Jesus. <laughs> and so the options are I'm Simon or I'm the woman. The reality is all of us are this woman. In the fact that we've had hurtful things that have been done to us, the fact that we've used our body in a way that dishonors God and, and is sinful and is wrong. The reality is we're all like this woman because we all need the love and the forgiveness of God. But can I say this to you this morning? It's your posture that's what's important. It's your posture towards sin that's important here. Our posture towards sin can do one of two things. 
Our posture towards sin can project us to love for God, or our posture towards sin can project us away from the love of God. How is that so, Pastor Matt? Well, it's so because you're either prideful or you're either repentant. That's the only two ways to approach sin. And if you're prideful, you can't love God. Why can't you love God? Because you don't believe you need God. You don't believe that God can help you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, God is opposed to the proud. Listen to me. You don't want God opposed to you. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Church, listen this morning. Some of us need to be more like this woman. We need a greater sense of our sinfulness. We need a greater sense of our, our need for Jesus. And we need Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We need not only that, but we need Jesus to assure us what? Of what? Of his peace. We need Jesus to remind us that our sin is the thing that causes everything around me to unravel. I'm preparing this sermon this week. God often does this to me when I'm writing a sermon for you, but it's often for me. I'm writing this sermon this week, and, 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 and I just had a moment where I needed God to confront my own sin and my own need for him. I went to bed mad one night this week, and I woke up mad. And it took about 14 hours for God to remind me that my sin causes things around me to unravel. And what I needed was to agree with God about my sin and to ask him to forgive me. That's what I needed. We all need to become like this woman. We need to be humble. We need to be repentant. Jesus is looking for heartfelt devotion. You understand that? He's looking for brokenness. We don't, we don't like this idea of brokenness. We don't like this idea of not being in charge. We love the idea of, being, of pride. We love the idea of I can do it myself. It's the exact opposite of the very thing that cultivates a love for God. Jesus wants us to acknowledge, I'm helpless apart from you, Jesus. And listen to me. When we get to that place, finally, it takes some work. It takes some effort. Take some humility. Finally, when we get to that place in life and our posture towards sin gets to the, it's not much of a jump. It's not much of a jump. It's not much of a jump where worship then becomes unleashed in our life. That's unashamed worship that we see once we get to that point. And that's what we see in the life of this woman. Simon, I want you to know what it looks like when someone has unashamed love for me and worship of me. Look at her, Simon. Simon, you gave me no water for my feet. Simon, she not only cleaned my feet, but she did it with her hair. Listen, to not offer someone water when they came into your home was bad hospitality at best, but it's downright rude. That's the best we can say about Simon. He treated Jesus with great contempt, but she gets down on her knees. She gets down on her feet, and her tears are literally soaking his feet, and she's cleaning his feet with her hair. Simon, you didn't even shake my hand. Simon, you didn't give me oil for my head. Simon, you didn't even give me a hug, but she has ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't even let me wash up, Simon. Everything that Simon has done is hashtag fail army. <laughs> Everything is a failure on Simon's part. He wasn't even a good host. 
but she loved much. Simon's not even in the ballpark. He doesn't even register on a scale of love, but this woman loved much. Are you Simon this morning? Or are you this woman? Look what Jesus says in response, and we're going to close. Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You can't help but notice here that Jesus is acting like God, isn't he? Throughout the Gospels, we, we, we see Jesus really revealing himself more and more over time so that by the time we get to the end of the Gospels and the end of the story of Jesus, we come to this realization that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, in fact, that he is God, and Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, and then he tells her why. Now listen to me, because we get confused about this in culture. It's not because she loved him well, it's because of her what? Faith. Church, listen, this act of love did nothing to earn her salvation. Don't be confused. It's simply an expression of her gratitude. I think Jesus finishes here because he wants no doubt. He wants no confusion. He wants no confusion about salvation. There's so much confusion about salvation in our culture. There's so much confusion about it. This woman was not forgiven because, listen, of her extraordinary act of love. No one is ever saved by form, nobody is ever saved by religious observance. You cannot be saved because you take communion. You cannot be saved because you get baptized. You cannot be saved because you did religious rituals. One thing alone saves, and it's Jesus himself. We receive salvation from Jesus alone. Our love for God does not save us. Understand this, because some of us are approaching this the wrong way. If I love God, no, 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 no. Because Jesus saved you, you can love God. And you have to accept what Jesus has done and what Jesus can only do. Everyone who has ever been saved has been saved by faith alone. Simon had religion. He didn't have faith. Either he believed my sin is not that big of a deal, or he believed that God, or Jesus couldn't do anything about it. Can I just say to you this morning, whatever you brought into church, I just want you to know this. There's nothing you brought here this morning that Jesus doesn't know about. There's nothing you brought this morning that Jesus can't forgive. There's nothing that you brought this morning that Jesus cannot redeem in your life. I want to encourage you to run to Jesus today, to get to Jesus by faith. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're helpless. Admit that you need Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Now, can I just say to you, this is for believers and non-believers this morning. Some of you believe, I, I got the gospel and it saved me, and now I'm just out of my own flounder. No, 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 this is, your, this is the pathway to love. It's the gospel. Uh, every day, it's the gospel. I need Jesus today. Being reminded of my sin today. And so the last three words of verse 50 tell us what we get when our sins are forgiven. And you need to hear this, many of you in this room. And the word is peace. 
peace was a customary greeting. And this woman is going in peace. And that's what Jesus said, go in peace. And she's going in peace, but there's lots of meaning here. And she's really going in peace. She's really going in peace. Not, not just, oh, I feel tranquil now. Oh, I feel much better about myself now. She's not just going and, and, and oh my gosh, my anxiety is gone now. This, this word is loaded with meaning. It's the peace that means the war is over. The war has ended. And all of us have this eternity-impacting dilemma in front of us. We're all alien to God. We're all hostile towards Him. But when Jesus forgives your sin, listen to me, all the things that stand between you and God are gone forever. You just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to close out here this morning, and we're going to take communion together. Just bow your heads and close your eyes in a, just a, a moment of reverence. Because of the peace and the confidence that we get from the forgiveness of God, listen to me, we can show outrageous acts of love towards God. Can I say this again to you this morning? And I want you to internalize it. When sinners meet Jesus, that's a loaded statement. They love him. I'm compelled to show much love. Why? Because he saved me. Little debt, a lot of debt, it's all the same. It's debt that I can't pay. Jesus can do it for me. How's your love for Jesus today? How's your love for Jesus today? I just want you to know that it's nearly impossible to compel your affections for Jesus to a love for Jesus without considering how much Jesus has forgiven you. It's impossible. Will you do that today? Before you just rush out of here, before you head on to the next thing on your schedule today, will you do just that? We're going to take communion here. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27 tells us that when we come to the table to take the bread and the juice, it tells us not to come in an unworthy Manner. In other words, don't take communion without considering the sin that Christ has redeemed you from. When you come to the table this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't withhold communion from yourself if you're wrestling with sin and you're repenting of your sin. But if you're not wrestling with your sin this morning, the Bible cautions you to pause. Why? Because this is a moment to remember what Christ has done. we come to the table this morning, would you consider your sin, the great love and forgiveness and grace that Jesus offers us. When sinners meet Jesus, they love him. Consider your sin right now. Confess it. Turn away from it. Run to Jesus. We're going to stand up and sing to my right, your left, to my left, your right. There are communion tables in the back behind you to your right. It's a gluten-free table if you have need. So we sing songs together in worship of Jesus. It's a moment to be reminded to consider our sin and the love and the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus offers. Lord, thank you for today. You're so good to us. God, we acknowledge this morning that you love us, but God, 
May you stir our affections to consider the forgiveness of our sins so that we can love you. In Jesus' name, amen.